Back and return, Medvedev up the middle. Djokovic, 5-3 and juice. Djokovic backhand onto the double-hander of his opponent. Medvedev hits a forehand, cross-court onto the forehand of the world, number one. Djokovic here, backhand up the middle, onto the double-hander of Medvedev. Djokovic looking for that 37th ATP Masters 1000 title today, remember. Forehand Medvedev up the middle, it's another brilliant, gripping exchange. Djokovic goes up the middle, onto the double-hander of Medvedev. Scappers for to try and reach a drop shot, plays the backhand. Djokovic goes cross-court. Oh, my goodness! Amazing drop volley from Medvedev. And the crowd are on their feet. This is it, potentially, for Novak Djokovic. The first serve is missed out wide. Enormous pressure on the shoulders of the world number two. Djokovic, far end of the court. Backhand return lands in. Medvedev on the forehand stretch. A double-handed backhand from the Russian. Djokovic swats back a forehand into play. Medvedev goes big. Credit to him. A championship point down. Djokovic backhand lands in play. Now another double-hander from the world number one on the verge of yet more history here. Forehand from Medvedev. Cross court onto the Djokovic forehand. Medvedev catches the baseline with his forehand. Now Djokovic hits a running forehand cross court. What a point this is. The slice cross court from Djokovic. Now the double-hander up the line. Medvedev on the stretch somehow gets it back. Djokovic into out. Forehand winner. Absolutely astonishing. The most beaming smile on the face of the record breaker, the history maker, the inimitable, the incredible Novak Djokovic. A champion in Paris. His 37th ATP Masters 1000 title. That is an all-time record. Novak Djokovic, the cream of the crop, the world number one, and the most astonishing finish to see off Daniel Medvedev and secure a three-set victory here in the final of the Rolex Paris Masters. His children are watching on as Djokovic engages with the crowd and he throws his racket into the crowd. What a valuable piece of history that will be. Djokovic comes through in three sets, 4-6, 6-3, 6-3. Congratulations to Novak Djokovic on winning the Rolex Paris Masters title and along the way making it a record seventh time now that he's finished the season as year-end world number one. The challengers are coming but Novak is still out there in pole position. Welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and from one world number one to another, we'll hear shortly from Juan Carlos Ferrero, coach of Carlos Alcaraz, who's had a massive breakthrough year and is set to play at his first Intesa Sao Paulo next-gen ATP finals. We'll hear from two more of the debutants there, dashing young Italian Lorenzo Musetti and American Seb Corder, but first, looking back on Paris, where they commentated on the final and ahead also to what it all means for the season-ending Nito ATP finals in Turin, let's hear from Joe Shannon and alongside him in the commentary box, Miles McLagan. Well, Miles, what a final in Paris at the Rolex Paris Masters. Novak Djokovic coming out on top against Daniel Medvedev in three dramatic sets and writing more history a 37th ATP Masters 
1000 title. What has been an incredible week for Novak Djokovic. Occasionally the strain I think has shown for the world number one. It hasn't been an easy passage through to lifting the trophy yet again. A sixth title in Paris by the way but just like he so often does he gets himself over the line and he further cements himself doesn't he in this in this conversation as to whether he might well be the greatest of all time. He certainly does. Yes, it has been a great week. Two massive records that he's oh. taken charge of. That uh, year in number one, of course, when he when he beat uh, Hubert Hurkacz in, in the semi-final. But yeah, it was a really interesting final. It didn't start out with a particularly um, dramatic. It was it, Djokovic seemed perhaps a little relaxed or, or flat at times. Medvedev was was really tough, but you know Djokovic slowly the te- he raised the temperature. He got that break in in the second set, and and to be honest, he never really looked. Uh, back from there he, he played a lot of excellent tennis he, he mixed things up he used the slice back and he used the serve and volley fairly frequently and he used that successfully too um, lots of sorties forward to the net and uh, so some nice touch play there were times perhaps for um, Medvedev where I think as we expected a little more from his passing shots because he's so so good from the back of the court but I think the drama uh, for Medvedev too was uh, you know was there and, and in the end as you'd want both players levels rising as the third set developed and a little bit of a twist at the end. Just when we thought that Djokovic had, uh, had got the job done, he failed to, to serve it out. There were some nerves, but struck back straight away. Just showing, you know, why, reminding us why he's got all these records, why he's uh, the world number one and the great champion. A, dis- is. a disappointment for the previous champion, the champion of 2020, Daniel Medvedev. Absolutely rock solid in the opening set. Rock solid for most of the second set, aside from one sloppy service game where in fact he'd served three consecutive aces at one stage but that allowed but his his errors allowed and a couple of terrific points from Djokovic allowed the world number one to to break and then really was that one of the defining points of the match was that one of the key pivot points ultimately there's absolutely no doubt about that these you know these great players they are you know they are predators and they then they sniff a moment and I think for Djokovic that that must have been it because that to that stage there was a lot of he just it almost seemed like a practice match for him at times like he was trying and fighting but there wasn't that sort of deep passion that you draw from 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 your the, the depths of your core and I think at that moment he realized well you know I've got a chance here Medvedev might just have just have blinked and he started to you know the serve was effective throughout and he just started to take control I think he, he was able to um, to push Medvedev around he had a little bit more uh, venom on his forehand and of course just that addition which will be interesting to see how Medvedev going forward develops that Djokovic was able to come forward when you know win quite a few points up at the net whereas Medvedev you still know there's there's a reluctance to come into the net and when you're playing against the likes of Djokovic um, you know, 36 points times he came forward Djokovic just 13 for Medvedev and it's and, uh, and probably the bulk of those were off drop shots it just allows Medvedev's opponents that chance to defend with a little bit more freedom both players alluded to it in their on-court interviews after the match this is a rivalry that really has been burning for some time but now you feel it, it, it particularly when we go into the start of 2022 Djokovic against Medvedev is going to be absolutely one of the first matchups that that people look for and one of the first matchups that people get really excited about. I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, 
Medvedev is no doubt a player that makes Djokovic sit up and, and, and take notice. And, and it's incredible how quickly he can, can shift around. I mean, we saw it, uh, you know, what Medvedev did at the US Open. And that would have just given his um, his confidence a boost. And, and he might be a little um, fatigued as well. Didn't really show it, but it, he, it's a sort of year he's had. And, and credit to Medvedev that he's been able to keep that to number one, uh, the race to number one alive for so long, given the year that Djokovic has had. Three Grand Slams and you only seal it in the second last event of the year. But um, Medvedev is certainly somebody who who has beaten Djokovic and, and Djokovic will believe so will keep that to keep his attention. Um, th there are, of course, others snapping at his heels, but I think Medvedev has just separated himself from, from the pack. Well, for the NITO ATP finals to come, there is so much excitement, of course, takes place in Turin between the 14th and the 21st of November. We know our top eight lineup and we... We saw Hubert Hercatch clinch the final berth by reaching the semi-finals here in Paris and, and rounding off an excellent field for us to all look forward to. There's some guys who can who can really play, and um, you know, of course, there's, there's a number Djokovic in particular who's been there and, and won it a, a whole bunch of times. But guys who can, um, you know, like Hercatch, who, who you mentioned, if they on their A game can really challenge and uh, and play some exciting tennis. And, and yes, we did watch him sort of drag himself across. There was a couple of nervy performances, wasn't it, against uh, Dominic Kupfer and then James Duckworth, two players that he was the heavy favourite, but he knew what was at stake and um, he was quite subdued and, and nervy. But eventually when he got across the line, her catch, huge celebrations, a relief just poured out of him. So um, an excellent effort from him. And then, of course, the other player who... who grabbed their spot in Turin was was Kasper Ruud and he did it in a in contrasting style to Hubert Hercatch. He blazed away a, a, a 6-2-6-1 performance over Marcus Garon to get himself into the quarterfinals was when he sealed his spot and yeah I think two players have had really good years. Ruud has won as many matches just about as anybody. He's playing some excellent tennis on the rise quickly. Yannick Sinner and Cam Norrie has been confirmed as, as the first and second alternates respectively both just edged out and Norrie in particular of course after his wonderful exploits in recent times not quite able to make the cut the top eight Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Berrettini, Hercatch and Rude. Is it difficult to look beyond Novak Djokovic again? He's certainly the favourite, and as I said, you know Medvedev with a week off, and, and Zverev too was tired in the semi-finals. Um, will certainly be threats. We know the big tennis Berrettini can play, but um, I mean he's going to be the heavy favourite, Djokovic. But it will be remain. We'll remain to see what sort of what the conditions are like. I mean, you know, someone like Berrettini wants that heavy forehand, and uh, he might like a higher bouncing, faster court, like the grass at Wimbledon where he got the bulk of his points. Rublev. Has, has dropped off a little, but maybe a slightly uh, faster surface might just, just favour him. But yes, uh, Djokovic is the favourite. There will be, doubtless, a tremendous atmosphere. Look yeah. at what we've seen across yes. the week in Paris and the Italian fans. We know how passionate they can be. And of course, they'll have an Italian to, to get behind. Berrettini playing on on home soil. So that is something that I think was a, was a highlight of the Rolex Paris Masters and could well prove to be a highlight in Turin, just as it was when the tournament was held at the O2 Arena in London. 
because it's local it's a local interest that really get the, the fans involved and the passion and, and keep the interest in other matches you know you, you, you touched on you touched on it here in Paris those two um, Hugo Gaston matches were just something else I mean it was full blast from start to finish and yeah we hope we get that from from the Italians they've you know they've got a lot to be they've got a lot to cheer unfortunately um, Yannick Sinner just uh, just missing out would have been inter interesting to have the, the two Italians there but uh, um, you know it's a nation with a with a rich tennis history we see the um, the, the, the Rome tournament which is uh, very well supported with passionate players with passionate fans so expect more of the same in Turin and we will have commentary of the doubles in Turin as well on ATP Tennis Radio. We know that it's a big part of the NITO ATP finals. And just like Novak Djokovic, the Croatian pair, Pavic and Mektic, confirming their spot as the year-end number one ranked pair. Yeah, again, it's, it's it's surprising that perhaps it's taken them so long because it just seemed like they were winning everything. But yeah, a real the, a, a pairing that... that um, probably teamed up for, with the, the Olympics in mind and, and that was a success for them. They they took the gold there and uh, playing some really good tennis. I mean they're gonna go in as as the favourites again because you know they've just they've just won so much but you know there's a bunch of quality behind them of course Ram and Salisbury yeah at their heels who've also done their fair share of winning and, and then the established teams like uh, Granoyes, Zabayos, Herbe and Mahu and the, the, the Colombians too. Caval and Farah, Dodig and Polasek at number six, Kravietz and Tekau, and then Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez rounding off what will be a terrific doubles lineup. We can't wait for it. Really looking forward to it on ATP Tennis Radio. Thanks to Joe Shannon and Miles McLagan. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. So the final player to book his place in Turin was the Miami Open champion from earlier this year, Paul Hubert Hurkacz. And immediately after the Paris quarter-final win over James Duckworth that clinched that golden ticket, Paul King spoke with his coach, Craig Boynton. Craig, many congratulations. Hubie's done it. That victory today means you guys have reached the ATP Finals. How proud are you right now? I'm just so proud of the progress and uh, uh, the effort Hubie's put in from the start of the year to now. Uh, one thing is, is for certain is that Hubie gives it his all every match. And I'm um, just, just really happy for him that he got over the line today. Was this a realistic target at the start of the year? Uh, it, it was, it's always on everyone's uh, list. It should be. Um, but normally, in order to get there, you got to hit a few other targets in front of that. And uh, so as he started progressing and, and winning some big matches uh, throughout the year, it's not something you, you really kind of talk about because he knows and I know, and there's other, other things you want to kind of tackle before then. But, I mean, after the Open and after Indian Wells, I mean, it's on everyone's radar. Every single interview he did was about Turin. And, and so that you, you can't escape it. And, um, and he was like, he, I, he couldn't watch the other matches of the other guys that were involved. And, and you know, just you think someone's in, in front and then the next week the other person comes good. And so it was just kind of leapfrog. And, and you know, we're, we're just fortunate enough that uh, we're end up going to turn. Well, Miami was obviously the catalyst at the beginning of the year, but he had a little bit of a dip, didn't he, after that? And really had to dig deep to sort of regain that momentum. No, he's had he's had some high moments and he's had some dips, quite a few uh, of both this year. 
but in typical Hubie fashion, he just keeps coming back and working hard and working through it. And you know, this is a testament to just getting up and going to work. He had six match losing streak at one point this year, and he had some some really down times. But you know, Hubie just he just kept with it. He kept with the process and kept on trying to improve. And look, good things happen. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Now we turn our attention to this coming week and Milan, where eight of the finest young players in the world will be playing for the Intesa San Paolo next-gen finals title from Tuesday. Spaniard Carlos Alcaraz was once again impressive in Paris and he takes his place in Group A alongside American Brandon Nakashima, Argentine Juan Manuel Serundolo and Dane Holger Runa. Arguably, 18-year-old Alcaraz starts as favourite for the event, such as being his phenomenal development and progress this year under his coach and mentor Juan Carlos Ferrero. Jill Krabus has been speaking with the former world number one to find out more about the young man. I'm very excited. I think uh, he's a very humble guy and a very, very nice guy. You know, very smart on the court. And uh, when I started with him, when I was, when he was uh, 15, is uh, something uh, going on different inside of me because I have a lot of um, opportunities to go with. Uh, very good players in that moment mm-hmm. that uh, they they were in the top 10 but I prefer at the end to go with someone that uh, needs really needs the help you know that uh, he needs to to grow up as a tennis player he needs to uh, to grow up like as, as, a, as a human person so I I knew that uh, he's supposed you know more time on the court more time with him maybe a little bit less time with my family because you know you have to travel uh, since the very beginning to a juniors tournament and a challenge tournament and uh, futures and then start again in, in that tour but uh, I wanted to have the challenge I think I, I was ready to to create a situation inside of me you know that I needed to grow up as a, as a coach and I think uh, these three years that I've been with Carlos helped me to you know to to know how difficult is to you know to help a guy that is very young but uh, is with a lot of talent and uh, he needs to go step by step and people it's putting you a lot of responsibility because everybody's talking about that guy that is going to be the next number one so you know sometimes it's very difficult but uh, I like uh, as a player that pressure as a, as a coach so, so, but how do you deal with that as far as, because he's hearing that too, right, from a lot of outside sources? As I said, he's very, you know, humble and, and smart and uh, he knows that uh, he has to make his own way and uh, the, 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 you know, comparison with uh, Rafa Nadal all the time for him is, you know, he's hearing that about two years ago from now. So, you know, he's very used to it and he... He's able to super, you know, uh, okay, people, they're going to say that, but I'm going to go that way. I'm going to be in a, in a bit of a, of a bubble and I, you know, I'm going to stay with the support of my team and I go my way to try to, to do my things. I heard him say, I think it was, I think it was at the US Open that he said, no, I play more like Federer. His style. His style. His style, yeah. So I feel like he was trying to get away from that other comparison. No, 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 not really, not really, because, you know, 
Rafa style it's it's a bit different than him and if you know people is it's asking him who you think you you know you you can play uh, more like and uh, finally yeah. he says Fede because he likes to go and you know very deep on the court and he has to go to a net and uh, he has to be very aggressive all the time so that's why as far as your experience obviously playing on the tour with Nadal Federer Djokovic coming up later what most impressed you I feel like when when you look when you were around them um, what stood out to you the most uh, I don't know it's tough to say because I was there trying to you know to find the tactic to play against them and uh, sometimes I beat them so uh, with Rafa was his strength on the court you can you can, f- you can feel you know when he's on a move all, all the time what you know that, that the ball comes to you like very heavy and uh, it's the, the, the intensity of every point that uh, he's playing uh, Roger of course his, his talent uh, you, you, you feel that uh, he can he can do anything in any moment that he wants and uh, and also Novak uh, for me maybe the, 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 the full the one that uh, he's gonna achieve more titles in the future but impress everything I think they, they, they were so good and uh, of course they, they they won most of the matches that, that they've been playing so that was, that's very impressed that, that it's very difficult to be able to stay at the same intensity week by week all the years that uh, they've been doing it so this uh, one of the most uh, things that I've been impressed yeah I mean I, I mean your career has been impressive too. You've been able to come away with the wins against them. But I, yeah, the longevity mm-hmm. of their careers, yeah, of course, your, of your career as well, to be able yeah. to sustain that mentality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what was important for you to be able to do that week in and week out from your perspective? Uh, I mean, the winnings always helps. That uh, when, uh, when you go to tournaments and uh, you feel that you can do uh, a very good result, and I think for sure helps to stay longer on the tour. Uh, it comes more difficult when the, you have injuries and uh, you don't win matches and, and you don't you feel that uh, you are not uh, on a place that uh, you have to be. But uh, you know, I think uh, as I said, win and stay fit and uh, playing at the at the end of your career less tournaments, but playing like very well this that tournament that I think uh, Rafa, Roger and Novak they're, they're doing that. They're playing like ten to twelve tournaments a year and uh, of course they they have Grand Slam as a goal and uh, they achieve to you know that they, they can play like high level in that in, in, in that few tournaments and it's very difficult to do that. And from when from when you finish playing how do you feel like the game has changed or how do you uh, feel like I think physically people you know uh, improve people now it's bigger and uh, stronger and uh, even you can see tall people that they can move like s- super well like Medvedev or Zverev and uh, and before we we didn't have that you you could see players as a, I don't know, a Richard Kreisek or even Isivis that, that they were like super tall but they didn't move as well as people move now and uh, people now I think they play to destroy and not to make a, a construction the point, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's like no thinking too much right. about it uh, and maybe 
before we were playing a little bit more on the plan, a tactic, and now it's like boom, boom, boom all the time, and it's a bit different. So for someone like Carlos Alcaraz, who you're working with now, to me, his his movement already is amazing. Mm -hmm. So as far as that, that's something that you might not need to focus on so much. What other aspects of our no, game? No, no, we focus so much about movement. Still yeah, on that. Because, I mean, yeah, he moves really I, when well. I, when I arrived to the team, you know, his, his coordination of movement, it was not his oh, best. Oh, I see. Okay. So, so about yeah. a coordination like the balance and... Yeah, balance okay. and, you know, uh, yeah, footwork and, and, and all this stuff. And it was not the best. Uh, yeah, and I, I've been working on that for three years now. And, uh, you know, now it's so much better. Uh, still, he needs to improve. People all the time tells me that uh, oh, super his fast. movement is like, yeah, he's super fast. But <laughs> footwork, sometimes he he can improve. But uh, yeah, of course, uh, it's impressed how he moves and uh, how he can slide on the court and uh, you know his, his strength on the court. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed about that. And as far as um, getting to that next stage to push at the top what 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 from your perspective are your goals yeah, and I mean, to get better yeah uh, as I tell him not every bit but but almost <laughs> that uh, you know we need time we know we, we, we don't have to be like hurry up all the time because he's he's going super fast already uh, but the thing that uh, I like the most on him that uh, he's able to adapt uh, speed that he's playing to anyone he can adapt his speed to the other one and that it's very That's difficult it. because uh, when he was 15 or 16 he practiced already with Federer in Wimbledon or with team in Rio de Janeiro and, uh, and you could feel that physically he wasn't the strong that he is now but he was able to hit the ball as strong as the other one he was so he adjusted quickly yeah yeah so it's one of the things that he that he has the best uh, and of course mentally he's very hungry all the time uh, I think he thinks that that's uh, nice he, for you he, yeah, yeah yeah of course <laughs> I think that every time that he step on the court he thinks he can win it doesn't matter who he's going to play but it's mentally it's very, this is very very good to be one of the best that he wants to be uh, and of course, uh, about forehand, surf, uh, or other things, he has to still practicing on his surf to make surf more consistent uh, on a direction, good directions. Uh, forehand, of, of course, it's really good. Backhand is really good. And um, what can I say? I think he's very complete, but still he has to. Keep working. El Mosquito, Juan Carlos Ferrero, speaking there with Jill Krabus. As ever, the next-gen finals are packed on both sides of the draw with exciting talent. In Group B, there is Hugo Gaston of France, another Argentine, Sebastian Baez, Italy's Lorenzo Musetti, and finally, Sebastian Corda, son of former World Number no. 2 and Australian Open champion, Petter Corda. Whips it onto the angle, oh. but then Corda responds with maybe the shot of the match. An amazing forehand cross court. Not afraid to smile. 
I get angry sometimes, but uh, I like to be aggressive and just have fun out there. There's a lot of good players coming up right now. All the 97s, 98s, 99s, and uh, even the 2000s are kind of making a little bit of a push now. You have to be so mentally focused throughout the whole match. I mean, one, one point, one game, you could lose the match easy. I mean, you have to grind for every point. So you're out there by yourself. you got to figure things out. I was born in Brainton. I grew up also in Brainton, so I mean, I was there at the ING Academies ever, ever since I started playing tennis. Yeah, my dad's kind of like a, a secret weapon in a way. He's been around the tour a super long time. He's made it to the top. He's won a Grand Slam, and, and he's coached someone who's made it into the top ten as well. So he knows what to do and, and uh, kind of the tough decisions. He makes them look easy sometimes, and uh, yeah, I'm super grateful to have him in my corner. Perfect. Um... <laughs> I'm happy, you know, he's uh, carrying the family business. Now it will be up to him to carry the, carry the flag and um, you know, I, I'm, my wife and myself, we're happy you know, to be part of it and helping him you know, to, be, to be the best tennis player he can be. I started tennis when I was 10 years old. I played ice hockey until then. But uh, I went to the US Open with my dad and one of his players, Radek Stepanek, and then ever since then I just kind of fell in love with him. And, decided to quit quit hockey and started playing tennis. Well, I love Radek Stepanek. He's my idol. My dad coached him for, I think, 11, 12 years. And uh, Marat Safin and uh, Nadal, those are those are my big three. I started playing tournaments when I was 15 years old. I kind of started a little bit late, but uh, I mean, I just, I just have fun with it. I mean, every tournament I go to, I just try to win it. It's very special, including that uh, my dad won it 20 years ago. So it's a, it's a very special feeling. Both my mom and dad, they both played tennis. My dad won this tournament in, uh, in 1998, and uh, so it's, it's a bit special. <laughs> it's not bad, huh? It's, uh, it's kind of like a dream come true. Melbourne, Australia, it's probably will be very close to our heart, you know, to our family. Myself winning my first major in doubles, 96 in, in Melbourne, 98 I won my singles. Him doing that in Australia 20 years after, you know, I won, I mean, it's a great achievement. When I was dropping him at the airport, you know, he, he was flying to Australia on, on a Christmas day on the 24th of December. He said, you know, he wants to bring the cup home. So I was uh, pretty impressed with his words, but more impressed, you know, the way he finished over there. He, when he won, uh, how he played the big points, you know, he played them like a big champ, you know. That was very important. And bringing the cup, I mean, what else I can ask? My impressions of the ATP Tour is it's something I've dreamed of ever since I was a little kid and to finally be here and finally getting into these tournaments, it means a lot. I've put in a lot of hard work for it and, and hopefully I can keep going. It's pretty cool, you know, I mean, I've, I've played probably my whole junior career until I was 18 years old and, and then I was playing Futures for two, three years and then I started playing Challengers and, and now I kindly kind of upgraded myself into, into the big leagues. and. Uh, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, you can see all the players you watch on TV, they're all here and, and just to practice with them and play with them, it's, uh, it's super cool and, and um, comfortable out here and, and having fun. Three years ago, I made my ATP main draw in New York and played a really good friend of mine, Francis Tiafo, and it was a lot of fun. I played a really good match, but yeah, I couldn't pull through at the end. And uh, yeah, I think a lot, a lot has changed in my game and, and there's a lot more calmness kind of on court and, and a lot of hard work came into that.
I have two cats. One of them is named after Rafa Nadal, but we call him Rafi. I played uh, Rafa Roland Garros and uh, yeah, I think uh, the first part of the day I wasn't really, wasn't really sure what was happening and then once I was getting ready to walk on the court and I hear him jumping behind me, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is serious. And uh, I've, I've watched it so many times how he always gets fired up before matches. And uh, just to kind of be in that moment, I, I, I really just told myself just to kind of stay in the moment and, and really appreciate what's about to happen because my dream match was to play Rafa Nadal at the, at the French Open and to get the opportunity, especially at 20 years old, it was, uh, it was a dream come true and, and hopefully I could uh, get another shot at him. I started the 2021, oh, can I do that again? <laughs> I started the 2021 season in, in Delray Beach and had an incredible run there, making my first ATP finals and losing to a really good player in, in Hubi. It was kind of like a breakthrough moment for me. I had a lot of good matches, played a lot of great players and kind of just using that momentum uh, to start out my year was, was really great for me. It was a goal of mine to break the top 100 and to get that opportunity. It's something I dreamed of ever since I was a little kid and uh, super grateful for it. It was super cool. I was playing in, in a challenger in Quimper in, in France and I didn't know it was possible uh, that week, but uh, I think after the quarterfinals, uh, I broke through the top 100 and, and then I was, I don't know, I was just so super relaxed on court after that. I was like, this is exactly what I wanted. This is what I dreamed of my whole life. And finally to get this opportunity, it's been super cool. And, and yeah, I'm kind of living the dream right now. I think at the beginning it was it was a little tough for me. Uh, I was like kind of intimidated by these big players, but in the locker room, being around people, and uh, yeah, it made me feel comfortable. And now it's just uh, now it's normal for me. A very first Masters 1000 quarterfinal. I'd love to just keep having fun. I mean, I'm doing something I love, and especially now during during what's happening around in the world, it's uh, it's a privilege playing a, a sport right now, and couldn't be more grateful for it. Inspirational from Seb Corder. I don't think my life's really changed that much. I mean, I'm still still the same person. I always try to have a smile on my face and, and be kind to everybody. And yeah, just kind of, I don't think much has changed for me. Seb and Petter Korda speaking there with ATP Uncovered and Korda's sternest test in the group stages may well come in the form of a young man almost guaranteed to be the crowd favourite in Milan, Italian home hope, Lorenzo Musetti. Yeah, I think my game style is a little bit uh, retro. I inspire like uh, the whole generation, even if I'm uh, next generation. And I really like to mix the game, my game. Where's this retro game style come from? I don't know. I was born with the one-handed backhand and it uh, was really natural for me since, uh, since I was a kid. I'm uh, always in a good mood. Italians are always like this. We love to have uh, fun, to play jokes, but of course in the core we are focused. <laughs> 
Simply stunning from Lorenzo Massetti. Come on. School uh, was like uh, the second plan and not, mm, not the first. I think uh, probably at the age of 11, 12, I started to think like being a professional player. My goals for my career is to win a slam. Not an easy goal, but I mean, it's a dream, most uh, than a goal. I will not stop now, for sure. I want to enjoy this thing and I want to, for sure, like uh, fly, fly away and fly to the top. I actually don't know where was the first moment that I, that I thought that I could be a professional player. When I won the national champ, like under 11, I think, then I started like to work more uh, intensely and play like every day, train every day. Sometimes I speak too much on court. I speak too much with myself, but I'm still young and I'm trying to reach the perfection of the attitude on court. So I'm really working for it. I think I started playing professionally at the age of uh, 15, 16 because the federation gave me a wildcard in some futures. And I think I passed the quali and I won some, uh, some uh, future matches. Then I started like at 16, after I won Australian Open Juniors, I started to play Challenger. Then I made my ranking uh, playing Challenger. During the pandemic I worked a lot, especially on the physical part. I gained a lot of muscle and weight. I think uh, this thing uh, gave me a lot of power, strength on the, to compete at this level. I felt that I belong with these guys, I mean to stay with this level when I passed the quali in Rome and uh, when I had the possibility to play against the Stan and to win the first set, then uh, when I was at the changeover, I said, oh, Lorenzo, you won uh, six love against Stan, three-time Grand Slam champion. Oh, wow, absolute stunner from Musetti. I think at that moment, it's uh, really in my head and uh, I will never forget. Well, I mean it when I say it, but remember the name, Lorenzo Musetti. It is his first ever ATP Tour win for the 18-year-old. And you feel it will be the first win of many. Yeah, I'm so happy. When I saw the, the main draw that I was playing with one champion like Stan, one of my idols with the one-handed backhand, so it was incredible to play. It's really nice play here in Rome. You know, Italy is always, uh, it's always beautiful. Oh, it's on the line. Sensational from the 18-year-olds. Holy cow, how well, has he made that backhand? That is remarkable. Before the pandemic, I think I was ranking uh, almost 300, like 280, I think. And then when I, cl I closed the year, I think uh, one, uh, 150, one, 130, I don't remember the ranking, but was a lot of escalation at the end of the year. Like uh, after Rome, it was uh, for Lee and Sardinia.
when you do semifinals and you receive a lot of lot of of text message and sometimes if you don't know how to manage that you can be tired the next day because you are always like at the phone and uh, I mean you don't have to be always at the phone like texting My expectation now are to put some goals. Uh, the goal was to be in the top 100 and uh, this week to realize that. Oh, got there and he's made it. My next goal uh, probably is to be top 50 and uh, try to win uh, Grand Slam matches. Uh, when I started, I didn't have the, the rush to uh, to become uh, top 100 in in one year, but I mean uh, I have uh, I have the opportunity and I think I have the the talent to be to be here and uh, I played a lot of matches and I won a lot of uh, a lot of tournaments uh, in my career and now I have to face with the with the big ones. Uh, I don't feel so much pressure. Uh, I think I put on myself a little bit of pressure because uh, I have ambition for myself and uh, I know that I can go like uh, forward with the ranking, with the, with the wins. So I, I put a lot of pressure on me and sometimes it's, uh, it's too much. But I'm, uh, I'm trying to manage the, my, my pressure and try to focus on uh, what I have to do. Musetti magic. This remarkable story goes on. And you can listen to ball-by-ball ball commentary of Musetti and company at the next-gen ATP Finals throughout the week from Tuesday on ATP Tennis Radio. You can find that on TuneIn or on the ATP Tour website and app. That is it for this week. Thanks to Juan Carlos Ferrero, Lorenzo Musetti, Seb Corder, and to our commentators, Joe Shannon and Miles McLagan. Next week is a big podcast. We'll be rounding up events in Milan and gearing up for the final acts of the season, the Nito ATP Finals in Turin. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. Listener.